Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast. Happy Friday, everyone. Congrats on making it through this week. I hope you have big plans on the weekend to relax and blow off some steam. (laughs) By my count, we are one week from Tuesday will be the start of training camp. And two weeks from Sunday will be the Lakers' first preseason game against the Brooklyn Nets, which is categorically insane. I cannot believe it. Although I am very excited, uh, I cannot believe it's right around the corner. How are you doing, Raj? How's your week been? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful Friday. And yeah, we're getting pretty close to here. That game is actually at 12.30 p.m., by the way. I don't know if anyone's actually checked the times. I'm a weirdo and actually checked the time on that. <laughs> it's 12.30 L.A. time um, on Sunday. So I'm sure the Lakers are excited about that. But uh, yeah, excited to be here, man. We're going to get we're going to get into this pretty soon. So we're getting there. Yeah, and you know what? I think they'll be just fine playing at twelve thirty, considering all the uh, uh, the <laughs> players will probably play about ten minutes anyway. Yeah. Um, so today we have uh, kind of a special uh, setup compared to our usual uh, topics that we cover. We're going to briefly touch on this report that came out yesterday about Rich Paul at the combine three months ago that uh, <laughs> that may or may not shed some new light on the AD playing at the five situation. Um, We're going to kind of parlay that into one of our mailbag questions that we had centering around the Lakers offense uh, from last week. And then what we're going to do is Raj and I are going to talk about our origin stories, both with basketball and with the Lakers, just so you guys can get a little bit of a background on how we got to where we are in terms of where we are as basketball fans and why we root for the things we root for and so on and so forth. Uh, we thought it'd just be fun. Um, you know, we've, we really have enjoyed building this community with you guys and I think it'd be fun, uh, to kind of, uh, uh, drop the curtain a little bit and talk a little bit more about why we are the way that we are. I, I think that'd be fun. Um, anyway, let's start. You have the tweet up, correct? With the report. Um, I'm going to have Raj read the actual report from uh, that that came across. I think it was yesterday. It might have been two days ago. Uh, but it was from a gentleman who works at Bleacher Report, Fisher, or I can't remember exactly what his name is. Maybe you can tell me. Yeah, from uh, Jake L. Fisher, who's been a who's had his name growing here as an NBA insider, to be honest, throughout the whole summer. So he reportedly said that Rich Paul was going around the Chicago Combine um, telling people that LeBron and AD We'll be moving to the four and five this season. And I've been pretty clear on my thoughts on that. And again, I was reading through the replies. No one mentioned that the Chicago Combine was, you know, like three months ago at the end of June. So a lot of stuff has happened since then. We've signed players. We've let players go. We've traded players since then. But, you know, it's fun to kind of read that in Rich Paul as like the whisperer going around telling people, hey, guess what? Guess what? Vogel's going to move. Braun and AD death, uh, to the four and five. And I think that's all fun and great. I just, again, I'm, I've been pretty consistent with it, but let me get your thoughts first, Jason. What do you think about that report? Does that like improve your thoughts on it, on, on thinking this will happen? Or is this just another thing that we have to wait and see? So new report, old information is definitely the, the way that exactly. we, can, we can categorize this. So uh, to be clear, I, I have seen the writing on the wall, as have you, in the last couple months in particular. Basically, the last two, three weeks, a bunch of this information surrounding DeAndre Jordan and just kind of the pathway that this appears to be heading seems to be screaming that AD is, is going to be starting at the power forward. But I am going to stay strong. Now, this is something you and I have talked about at length over the last couple of weeks. So I understand why this is getting a little bit repetitive. <laughs> However, <laughs> I think there's, you know, it dawned on me last week 
and uh, it's something that I think gets glossed over in this debate. One of the most important reasons why, in my opinion, it's very important for AD to play the five is to free up minutes at the guard position. You know, one of my biggest concerns, it, it kind of reminds me of my last year playing in college. I, I transferred from a junior college to a four-year school that had just made it pretty far in the national tournament and had almost won their conference, and they brought everybody back. And there was this moment where we're all kind of in training camp, and everyone's like, man, we got all this talent, we got all these guys, we got all these guys, and it's like, all of a sudden, you start trying to think about how guys are going to play, and you're, you're, you come to this sudden realization, you're like, wait, like, there's just not that much opportunity on the court available to match up with the 13 players we have here who are capable of playing and then it becomes a situation with inconsistent minutes then it becomes a situation with guys struggling with confidence and it starts to kind of percolate down the roster and cause some problems and you know it's a good problem to have our team was very good we were we it, the talent led to success on the court but it it it, it was stressful in and of the uh uh the the little debates and the little uh you know subsections of the team that you know were advocating for certain players to play and so on and so forth it causes problems and we saw that with the Lakers last year a little bit you know the there was the Marcus All faction there was the Dennis Schroeder should come off the bench faction there was the we need more Caruso faction there were all these factions out there that kind of formed and the same thing happens in the locker room as we saw with guys like Dennis and and Andre Drummond and the way they behaved on Instagram this is a real thing that happens in the living organism that is a basketball team. And just something as simple as Anthony Davis moving to the center and opening up 20, 25 extra minutes at the guard position for those guys to get consistent minutes can go a long way towards helping guys like Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn and THT have better seasons and to actually hit their potential because they get more consistent opportunity because they don't have to worry about having random Tuesday night games where they just get DNP coaches decision. You know what I mean? And so that that's what I would be concerned about. And the one last little detail that makes me a little bit more optimistic is if you were going to pay or play Anthony Davis primarily at the four, you'd need three centers because it, with especially with how old they are. You would want your two centers who are going to foot the bill, and then you would want someone who could step in if one of them need to sit out a game. So that that's kind of where I'm at with it. But does, does my rationale surrounding the rotation and like consistency with minutes does that make sense to you? It does. Yeah. Like I guess my counter only to that is I feel like those guards have to earn those minutes. Like you know what I mean. Like anyway, like in that rotation, I want whoever's the better player to be playing. Um, and opening up, I don't. Putting AD at center opens up some minutes for that. I feel like it opens up more wing minutes, honestly. And, and again, like I, I get that he's not going to play full time power forward. Like that's my annoyance with this conversation throughout the whole summer. And people want him to be a full time five here. Like he's not going to be a power forward full time. He's not going to be a center full time. And that's why you go out and get two centers here. And I've been pretty consistent on this. Like I feel like he's going to start at power forward, and that's what we're going to see. And everyone just needs to get ready for it. Um, again, I, I talked about last time how like his feelings on it have been pretty clear, right? He has, it, you said like we've got mixed signals, but AD has not given us mixed signals at all. He's told us exactly what what position he wants to play. So again, like we've we've had AD for 
two years now. It's going into his third year. We have a title in one year. And still, the conversation comes all the way back to, will he play center? And again, it does open things up. It does make an uglier game when he's at power forward. There's all these things that come with it. But obviously, it gives him some kind of mental edge. And again, Rich Paul going around being the whisperer, telling people three months ago that what Vogel is going to do just doesn't doesn't push me in that direction too much. I feel like their actions tell me more. Bringing in DeAndre Jordan, bringing in Dwight Howard, giving away Marcus Saul, who I thought actually put AD at center on offense. You know what I mean? Like that's what I thought Marcus Saul did, and he's off the team now. Um, and then you have Carmelo Anthony, and so like it's just a bunch of glut of forwards. And but you have two centers on the team, and I think they'll play. And anyway, we've gone into DeAndre Jordan a lot. We've talked about his skills, what he can do, um, his minimal role, specialized role, and. I think DeAndre Jordan starts uh, that first preseason game on Sunday. So uh, we'll see if I'm wrong, but I just that, that's where I'm at with this. But let's clarify one detail here, because to be clear, they did win a title the first year with AD starting at the four and playing mm-hmm. roughly 60% of his regular season minutes at the four. The problem is, is this season he played 90% of his minutes at the four. And the Lakers' offense was very obvious and clearly stilted in the half court. They had no space to operate. It obviously affected him. It obviously affected everybody on the team. You and I have talked about this at length. It is extremely difficult for two of the most gifted offensive forwards in the history of basketball to struggle to score in NBA games. (laughs) That, that, That was a byproduct of what happened. So Anthony Davis had an opportunity to slam this door shut and be like, I'm right. You guys are wrong. I should be playing at the four for half of my minutes. But he went so far in the other direction to making it so radicalized in this weird, you know, no spacing vintage four, vintage fives, ADs at the four type of offense that it led to an obvious bad result. And that's the reason why people feel the way that they feel. Now, to be clear, Anthony Davis went to the four in the playoffs or five in the playoffs And in the minutes where he was at the five, I tweeted this out a while back, the Lakers were something crazy like plus 22 points per 100 possessions. And that's counting game one where he was terrible. And if you take that number out, it's even crazier. It's like almost plus 50 per 100 possessions. The Lakers still absolutely pulverize people with AD at the five. But that's kind of the dramatic irony here is we have all of this evidence that, hey, this is the best way for us to play. And for whatever reason... This is this is the, the the direction that we continue to go. So, I mean, and again, we've hashed this out at length, so we don't need to dive in, into it any further. But the reason why I think it's been a, a continued to be a co- topic of conversation when it could have faded into the ether after the championship is because of what happened last year. And and so there, there he does share some blame. Like if he would have just repeated exactly what he did the previous year, no one would have said anything. But they like he literally almost never played center in the regular season last year. So th- that, that would, that was kind of the genesis of this, the re the resurgence of this debate, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And he wasn't himself at all last year. And I, I don't know what to take of last year at all. Um, he played until February and he was pretty much out, came back at the end of the season, played a couple games um, at power forward. I guess also it was a different type of center, right? We had Andre Drummond, uh, not a lot threat, Montrezl Harrell, Marcus Saul, not guys who are, really threats to uh, finish above the basket, above the rim. And I guess that's where he would see 
And uh, I, I think he had a big part of building this team. And I think they want to go back to that 2019 two lob threat style where you have JaVale, Dwight, and him on the floor. And then obviously when they close games, he'll close games at center. I, I still predict that. In the playoffs, he went to the center. That's my thing with this. Like In the playoffs, he showed that he would go to center. It's not like he's not going to do it. We have a blueprint of what he has done in the playoffs to go to that position. Obviously, to himself, he feels like he can't do it for 82 games. Whatever that is, I don't know if we'll ever get the right answer to that. Maybe it's bumps and bruises. Maybe it's, you know, maybe he doesn't want to, you know, be the only one that has to rebound. All this type of stuff, all these type of responsibilities you have at the five that are different at the four, right? At the four, he's more of a roamer, more of a, like, he can kind of play this uh, free safety. I don't know if that makes sense. That's a football term. But uh, he can play this, like, free safety um, on defense. But at the five, he's the full-time rim protector. He's the only guy back there. He's a full-time rebounder. He's the on this team, maybe with Russ, and it, it can help a little bit. But, like, he obviously feels a type of way. So uh, we're going to know in, like, a week and two days or something. Uh, so if he's, uh, we're going to know pretty soon here. So we'll get our answers uh, to that. But uh, I think it's been crazy that this is pretty much – dominated uh, after Russ. Uh, the, the conversation has been what AD play at the five. Did you see the photos of AD, by the way? Did you see the pictures of him? Yeah, I, I always have a hard time telling whether someone's really lost weight or not from photos, but I do see okay. the genesis of that opinion. Yeah, He looked he looked very thin. He looked like really skinny, so it looked really interesting. Um, it looked like he lost a lot of weight, which just showed where he was last year, but I thought that was interesting. He does look a lot skinnier, which would support the idea that he's playing more power forward I'm yeah no you're, you're right about that yeah so uh we'll we'll see but uh, we'll see in about a week and a half yeah and and again we're not going to continue to talk circles around <laughs> this because we have at length if you mm-hmm. want to hear more about uh jason and raj talking about ad at the four or five feel free to listen to any podcast we've ever recorded yeah um, no. so i did want to say one other thing about ad really quick i just dawned on me uh as it pertains to his injury history because this is something that i've been particularly hard on him on If you remember earlier this summer, I said, you know, you need to get in LeBron's ear and figure out what he's doing to maintain his body and replicate that because your availability is basically uh, the make or break factor for this team. And uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but just in the last couple of days, Blake Griffin went on JJ Reddick's podcast. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, do so because it's very, very good. And in addition to a lot of different stuff, like just how diligently Blake Griffin worked on his jump shot, starting from when he was a rookie to the point where JJ Reddick used to make fun of him because before every single game, he would pantomime his jump shot form in front of a mirror by himself because it was an operation that he had worked out with his shooting coach and all of these different things. But one of the big reveals from that podcast that I noticed was Blake Griffin is like LeBron with the way he takes care of his body. He invests millions of dollars in special equipment and in special treatments. He sleeps in the, 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 uh, the hyperbaric chamber. He does the cryotherapies on his knees and stuff. And he kind of shared a story about how I can't remember which injury it was, but it was after one of his injuries where he kind of broke down crying because He was like, I do everything right. I do everything right, and it happened to me anyway. And it kind of was profound in the sense that, like, it made me feel like an asshole, (laughs) you know, because I had been so hard on on Anthony Davis. And and I've been fortunate in my life to be mostly healthy. You know, for an athlete, I did okay. And so I was insensitive to the fact that, you know, maybe Anthony Davis is doing everything right, 
and maybe it's happening anyway. Now, Anthony Davis, if you're eating like crap and you're not taking care of your body and this is happening, then shame on you. Get that figured out. But (laughs) I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he may or may not just be a victim of some bad luck here. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you look at his numbers, like he's played more than I think people think he has. I mean, last season obviously was another outlier year, but the previous seasons he played, I think like 70 or 67 games or something uh, with the Pelicans every time. And then he was sat out. Blake Griffin, it, we forget that Blake Griffin missed his whole rookie year. I mean, I, I'm sure that kind of impacts you, how you treat your body, right? I mean, it also probably gives you a sense of like, uh, like you don't take things for granted. I, I remember he was the number one pick preseason had these crazy dunks and then like one preseason game he got hurt missed the rest of the year so um definitely Blake Griffin uh you don't get to where he has and how long he's played in the league without protecting yourself protecting your body so I'll definitely go listen to that I haven't heard that one yet yeah and he actually said he's like the way he's like my glass half full approach was like maybe I'd be out of the league if I didn't take care of my body the way that I do uh given given the types of injuries that I've had um, anyway, so real quick, before we go into our last uh, topic, we were going to uh, address one of the mailbag questions that we missed from the previous week. And it basically stated, where do you think the Lakers are going to finish in the league in offense this year? And so I'll start with you, Raj. What is your prediction? Not you know We're not going to hyper-analyze necessarily all the facets of the offense, but just your prediction based on what you've seen this offseason on how well the Laker offense will perform. Now, just so you know, uh, the first season with LeBron and AD, they finished 11th. And this past season with LeBron and, uh, with LeBron and AD being injured for the most part, they finished 24th. But <laughs> just in general, they've been bad offensively and particularly in the half court. A lot of their offensive success over the last couple of years has been fueled by their defense and getting out in transition. So that's kind of our starting point. Yeah. What do you expect for this season? Yeah, so last year they were 24th in offense and first in defense, which 24th in offense is wild with a team that has LeBron in it, no matter how many games he played or not. Um, to me, I think we get an uptick in offense. I see them as a top five offense. I think this will be a really good offense, honestly, even with the clunky fits, even with the centers playing 20, 25 minutes. I still think they're going to run. I think it's going to be hard to stop in transition. Russ, LeBron, AD running the floor. I just think they're going to be a different type of team to play every night, and uh, I think the offense is going to be good. I think there's going to be a drop in defense. We've talked about this. This. But the uptick of offense, I I totally see it. Um, two two few full time ball handlers now. The shooting that they've gotten, the offense will figure itself out. Um, Vogel's not this like super X's and O's crazy offensive type, but just having the ball handlers with it, I think we see a revamped AD this year as well. Again, last year twenty fourth. A lot of that to me is AD just walking through games through that first couple months as well. So I see an uptick in offense, man. I think they can be a top five offense, and I think they'll have to be. Um, I don't think they'll be as good a defense last year, even taking out being number one. Um, if they can stay in the top ten, I think this is going to be a really freaking good team um, if they can just keep that up. But the offense will be fine to me. Yeah, so we're on the same page here. I, you know, I lost optimism in the team towards the end of last season when LeBron's ankle was uh, when he tried yeah. coming back and he didn't wasn't able to and then when Dennis Schroeder had the covid suspension but outside of that stretch I've been really optimistic about this formula uh just in general the LeBron AD formula and the the, the weird combination of like super elite high end offensive talent with physically imposing players that translate to the playoffs and I am more optimistic right now at this point in time than I was at any point in the previous two years, which is crazy to think about because LeBron's older. Um, but the the primary reason behind that is 
I expect them to defend well still. Now, the reason why I would not say they're going to be the number one offense is because you have to uh, address the obvious elephant in the room, which is the way these numbers usually work. So, for instance, you're going to have a team like two years ago, the Bradley Beal Washington Wizards that just put up uh, insane offensive numbers because they don't play any defense. So mm-hmm. they, they, they're going to have a 118 or whatever offensive rating just because they save all their energy for that end of the floor. So you're going to probably have one or two teams along those lines, not to mention Brooklyn, who's going to be just like a super ster- steroided up version of that type of that type of team. But then in addition to that, the Lakers are going to defend at a uh, or you. So you have the Lakers defending, which is going to take energy away from the offensive end. But you also have the fact that their spacing isn't going to quite be what you're going to see from teams like the Clippers, for instance. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see like a team like the Clippers finish with a better offensive rating than the than the Lakers because they lean so heavily into spacing, which will negatively affect them on the defensive end and it will negatively affect them just in all the physical areas of the game having to do with like rebounding and clutch time offense because teams start to wear down as they're physically inferior and that kind of thing. So I, it, it all adds up to an equation that works for the Lakers, but I expect them to finish somewhere in the three to four range on defense and then somewhere in the six to seven range on offense. And then that will uh, inherently lead to them having somewhere in the top two or three uh, uh, net ratings is what I what I expect from this year. But the gist of it is like between the AD splitting minutes at the four and five, hurting some of their spacing, and with all of the defensive effort that they're going to put in, it will have some negative impact on their offense. However, LeBron James at the helm of an offense with actual spacing, which they should have some actual spacing this year, which they didn't have in years past. That's just pretty much in NBA history, an automatic equation that leads to a top five offense. I've talked about this right. a lot, but before before 2019, so the year that uh, LeBron pulled his groin, for 10 consecutive seasons, dating all the way back to Cleveland, LeBron James led offenses were top six in the league. For 10 consecutive seasons. And most of them were in the top two or three. There was just one random outlier in there. I think it was one of the heat seasons where they ended up sixth. Point being, though, this LeBron with shooting has always led to high-level offense. Throw in Russ's motor, throw in Anthony Davis, throw in just a decent amount of shooting. I think they'll still be very productive offensively. I just don't think they can be at the top of the league with some of the teams that literally sell their soul to score points at the at the detriment of the team. Yeah, and, and also throw in a good second unit, right? Throw in a good bench. Like when LeBron was on the floor, offense was fine, to be honest. It wasn't great, but like it wasn't 24th in the league. It's when LeBron goes off the floor and running lineups through Dennis Schroeder, you know, AD as the offensive fulcrum. That's kind of where um, our offense kind of really dips. It gets kind of ugly. So with Russ and AD leading a second unit, our offense should be better. It should be able to keep up. And that net rating should be even better to me this season. Um, I don't think it would be like Utah level last year where they were like, I think, plus 13 or something like that. But, you know, like something like plus 10, plus 11, just getting a better bench. Um, how many times would like our bench come in and there'll be like five minute, five minutes of like no scoring droughts, no field goals for like six minutes or stuff like that um, really just kills offense. That's what drops your numbers down from like 24 to like top 10 or 11 uh, is if you can kind of keep a good second unit there. So I agree with you. Offense should be better. Um, 
I'm still waiting to see how the defense looks before I kind of judge on what uh, what number I give that. But I think the offense is going to be fine. We have a bunch of scores, a bunch of off-the-dribble guys, a bunch of guys that can get, can get hot. We kind of traded out our defensive kind of stalwarts, right? Alex Crusoe went out the door, and we put in, like, scores um, to – to replace that. And that should give you more scoring. Uh, we should be able to score more this year. And uh, hopefully we don't have to watch these super ugly games where it's like 92 to 91 while other teams are, have like 115 uh, scoring night. So we'll, we'll see with that. But I agree with the offense should be better. We should be fine. The stuff about the, the non LeBron minutes is a really good point. And, you know, as it pertains to the net rating that you brought up, like I, you know, I wouldn't predict this because of all of the things that can go wrong. But I wouldn't be the least bit shocked if the Lakers came into the season and just started beating the hell out of everybody. Like, I, like you know, that's kind of the way it was in 2020. And yeah. it kind of is, the, you know, 21 and 6 to start last season um, doesn't seem that impressive. You know, it's it's kind of like roughly a 64 win pace. You know, the Lakers the previous season started 24 and 3. So it's easy to be like, oh, it was less impressive. That was 21 and six, but it was the best record in the league, which is an important detail. Like the Jazz didn't actually pass them until after the injuries happened. They were 21 mm-hmm. and six, which was the best record in the league. And they were, uh, um, at the time, uh, uh, they were the team that had the least motivational advantage, meaning they were exhausted. They were burnt out from the playoff run. They had all of those reasons to fall back on in terms of not playing as hard as they, as they, as they ended up doing so. And so from that standpoint, I would say like, if you really break down the Lakers, they've been incredibly dominant their first season. And then they started incredibly dominant. And then there were some injuries. And so theoretically it's, it's very possible that they go into the season and just start running over everybody. I hope they do. I think that, I think that would be the the perfect tone to set so that you come into a potential Brooklyn Nets matchup with a, a ton of momentum and confidence. But anyway, I think it'll be it'll be fun to see. But we have about 20 minutes. I wanted to get to this next topic. This was your idea, Raj, and I think it's a really good one. Yeah. So everybody has like an individual relationship with the game of basketball, with, you know, whether it's family or whether it's something that's more by happenstance. And obviously that leads to the Lakers in one way or another. Uh, if you're a Laker fan. So I wanted to start with just kind of basketball in a broad sense. So my first question for you, Raj, is how did you encounter and fall in love with the game of basketball? So shout out uh, Mr. Ricky Spanish, our friend Ricky on Twitter. Um, He asked the Lakers origin story, and I thought this would be a good idea for us because I don't think we've we've kind of talked about a little bit here and there in our different kind of analysis, but we haven't really talked about it full. So I thought this would be a good idea for me. So like in my Avi, I have me as a you know, as a kid uh, playing basketball um, as a kid. But like at that time, I didn't really know what basketball was or I wasn't really into. I was playing it as a kid because, you know, as a kid, you play sports and stuff like that. So I didn't really play it until I got to high school around in in ninth grade. Um, I went to this small kind of school um, before I transferred. And uh, there were like 350 kids in the school. It's a school in L.A. Uh, And uh, so I was like, let me just try it for the basketball team. There's not that many people here. You know, they're I don't know how good they would be. And I was wrong. There's a lot of really good players. Um, but like, you know, I made the team or whatever. And, uh, but I knew nothing about basketball. So the coach was like, do a screen. And I was like, the only screen I know is a green screen. Like, I don't know what a screen <laughs> is. So like, so I was definitely not good. Um, but then like one of the seniors, um, he came to me. He's like, I want you to go home and watch Kobe. 
I was like, why would I want to go watch Kobe? I don't, I don't want to be in the NBA. Like, why would I just go watch Kobe? He's like, no, no, I want you to go home and just watch Kobe. So I went home that night and I watched and I fell in love with the game right away. Um, since then, this was 2008. I don't think I've missed a game on purpose since then. So like since 2008, uh, since that guy told me, since I don't want to put his name out there, but he told me to go um, go watch Kobe. Since then, I just fell in love with the game. I started playing more and more. And then you just fall in love with it. And both of us, you don't watch it as much as us unless you fall in love with it. And there's just something about it, the connection, the beauty of it, um, just connected me. And it's just something that I've stayed with uh, till now. So uh, that's kind of my story on it. Uh, I started really late. Um, I, I really, what really like, I, annoys me as I wish I was watching during the Shaq and Kobe years because that seems like such an amazing time to be a fan but I missed all that um, I, I started with the Kobe and Powell years but uh, yeah that's where I was kind of starting how about how about you man where did you uh, where did you find your entry into uh, loving basketball so for starters you know in terms of missing out on an era um, there's a pros and, there's pros and cons to that because for starters there's always going to be another era it's like this it's like the, yeah. uh, the Kobe Powell years Excuse me. And then the LeBron AD years for the rest of our lives, we're going to see dominant stretches of of historical basketball from teams. And, you know, you know what you get to do is you get to go back and watch like, you know, one of the biggest joys for me, because especially because like I I share similar frame to Michael Jordan. I'm about the same size and I've copied a lot of elements of his game. You know how cool it was for me as a kid who didn't get to watch MJ when he was playing because I was literally like seven years old when he won his sixth sixth title. Like I get to go back and watch all his film and it's like new to me. It's like free basketball, you know, like it's, it's cool. And, 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 you know, being the access that we have to that stuff now is so cool. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, there's going to be some kids, some out there one day that's going to be watching an era of Lakers basketball being like, man, I wish I could have watched LeBron and AD that had to have been awesome. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's all, it's all part of the, the bigger vision anyway. Um, you know, you talked about how we would never be able to watch as much basketball as we do if we weren't addicted to it. And it, it's funny because I was literally talking to my buddy about that last night who's a big football fan. And I was like, yeah, you know, the NBA really struggles from a lack of urgency. Like, it's hard for me to convince you, my buddy, to come watch a regular season NBA game because you're not going to feel the same urgency coming off the screen as you do from an NFL game. Because an NFL game, even though they're not all win or go home type of scenarios – they kind of carry some of that type of momentum and there's an urgency that just is hard to replicate. So what gets me to enjoy a random second quarter shift from Talon Horton Tucker with DeAndre Jordan on a Tuesday in, in Memphis is my love for the game of basketball. And that, and that, that kind of is what drives all of this. And, and, and it comes from somewhere. So for me, what was funny is I grew up in a baseball and football family. My, uh, my dad, would put the D-backs game on every night, you know, here in Tucson. And we were all big Dallas Cowboy fans because all of my, my, my family moved to Tucson from Dallas and all of my extended families in Dallas. And so lots of NFL, lots of baseball. We, I didn't really play football growing up. My brothers did. I played Little League Baseball just like everyone else. And what ended up happening was on a random Sunday – um, we were hanging out on the couch and flicking channels and there was game six of the, uh, it was game seven, actually 2006 mm-hmm. Pistons Cavs. And, uh, what had happened was the Pistons jumped up two Oh and the Cavs won three games in a row. But unlike what happened in 2007, LeBron could not close the deal in game six and seven. It was his first ever playoff run. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, and I remember LeBron played terrible in this game in Game Seven, and uh, uh, but it was like my first real exposure to basketball because I didn't really watch basketball growing up because my family just didn't really expose it uh, expose me to it. And I got hooked like right away. So from from that moment on, from the start of next season, I basically started watching every single game LeBron played in. You know, and I was a what well, well, I guess I was a 15 year old kid who was like falling in love with the game from scratch at age 15. And I remember I remember watching you know LeBron drive baseline and take that crazy double pump dunk against the Dallas Mavericks and then like running into the back of the house and like grabbing my older brother and being like you got to come see this and like bringing him into the living room and my whole family was so like taken aback by it because none of them <laughs> none of them cared about basketball and then you double that with me randomly growing to be 6 foot 6 when all my brothers and dad are like 6 foot and it, it was just kind of like it was kind of like it meant to be, you know, so to speak. And I was lucky because my parents had a a, a basketball hoop in the front yard and uh, I didn't have anybody to really play with. But I just worked on my shot. And so it was funny is I was basically this like six, six gangly, like Bambi, <laughs> super unathletic uh, like nerdy, skinny uh, dude, but I could shoot. That was like my 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 skill that I could take home. Well, I was a terrible, terrible, terrible high school player. Uh, uh, famously, on senior night, my senior year, I uh, didn't play, and all of the other seniors did, and it was like kind of a devastating moment for me. But I, in retrospect, I look back and I don't blame the coach necessarily because. I was terrible. Like I, I was terrible. I, I still remember one time in a JV game dribbling to the left in a half court set and the ball just disappearing out of my hand, not because I got stolen from, but because I was such a bad ball handler that I tried to dribble and the ball just like airballed my hand and went flying out of bounds. And like, then I got pulled from the game. And so I was just a really, really bad high school player. Well, I, it, the reason why I was bad is because I was, I started late. I started when I was like 15 well, yeah. um, when I went to the University of Arizona, I just started playing pickup every single day. And what basically happened was, is all of a sudden, my, I got used to my body. And I actually became a pretty freak athlete at the time. I was about 205 pounds and had about a 40-inch vertical, so I could get my elbows above the rim. And so that, in combination with my shooting made me a pretty decent player, but I was still extremely flawed. I couldn't dribble, couldn't see the floor, couldn't do any of those things. Well, after my second year of college, I walked in to a uh, to the community college, the local p- community college, and uh, and I just started killing everybody uh, in, a, in an open gym. And the head coach wasn't even there. So I go home and I go about my business. For me, it was just a run. I had heard, hey, they're having an open gym at Pima. You should go check it out. I'm like, okay. <laughs> And so then all of a sudden I get a phone call from this guy and he's the head coach of the team. He wasn't there. And he goes like, Hey, like, can you come back to our open gym today? And I was like, sure. So I went back to the open gym, um, the next day and killed everybody again. And he offered me a scholarship on the spot. So what was funny was like, I had never played organized basketball basically. (laughs) And, And I was just like a 20 year old, kid who uh who could jump out of the gym and could shoot threes and the guy basically envisioned turning me into like a stretch five basically and mm. so then i i went to uh to pima that year and i averaged like 16 points a game I had a really good scoring season but the team was terrible 
I ended up transferring up to Utah, played a year of junior college up there in Utah, and then I finished at Arizona Christian University in Phoenix. Eligibility was my big problem, even though I was all conference my second year in uh, in, in JV or excuse me in um, uh, junior college. I uh, no Division One would touch me because at that point I only had one year of eligibility left, and no one thought they could integrate me into a Division One program in one year. Um, but then next thing you know, I was 23 years old and, uh, and all out of eligibility and then you're done. And <laughs> I, I, uh, tried to play professionally overseas, but I didn't really have any connections. And to be honest, I wasn't that good back then. I was still not a very good ball handler and I could shoot the ball and I could defend and I could, uh, and I could, uh, jump, but I couldn't really do all the in-between things. And it's funny cause people always ask me now, they'll be like, why aren't you playing overseas? Why aren't you doing this? And it's like, I didn't really get good until I was like 26. So like from that standpoint, uh, I, by the time I got to this point where I could dribble and do all those other things, it was too late. Um, but I'm at peace with it right now. I just play for fun. And uh, as far as the Lakers element goes, it's really simple. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. We don't have a professional sports team there. It's a college town. Heck, I didn't even follow the NBA growing up. Uh, LeBron is the one who got me to fall in love with the game of basketball. And I always knew I wanted to cover the league. And so if you look in the archives, you'll find articles of me writing for a website called King James Gospel, which was the, <laughs> the fan-sided uh, Cleveland Cavaliers website. And uh, and I wrote you know, for a season for them. And then I also wrote about some college uh, basketball stuff for the U of A. And then when LeBron went to the Lakers, I just kind of continued to do the same thing that I've always been doing. And in a weird way, man, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I'm not just saying this, I've kind of just fallen in love with this culture of this team. And, you know, my fanhood for the Lakers extends far beyond LeBron because as much as I love LeBron and what he's done for me in terms of falling in love with the game and just rooting for him for all these years, I love Frank Vogel and I love the culture that he's instilled I don't agree with everything Rob's done, but I think Rob's done a really nice job. I've fallen in love with the young players that have come through this program. I love the culture that centers around defense, and we're going to outwork everybody and physically beat everybody to a pulp. And so it's been cool. It's been cool in the sense that, like, you know, it'll be so easy for me to continue to support and cover this franchise after LeBron is gone because I've almost organically kind of adopted the franchise in terms of, of rooting for them. And, and it's, and it's been really cool to become a part of this. And quite frankly, and I mean this, I, I thank you in particular for this and so many others, like the Laker fan base has just accepted me with open arms. And I sincerely appreciate that. And I look forward to the future. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of cool because we both come as from different sides. You've played at a higher level than I did. Um, I played a little bit, but like we both love the game and uh, we're not always right in what we say, you know what I mean? But we do come at it from like an open mind, from like a love of basketball take. So that's where we start uh, at our analysis or whatever we talk about. We come at it from a love of the game. And I think that shows too. And I think I saw, I think I remember when you started just tweeting about the Lakers, I could just tell like it was from a love of the game and you knew what the hell you were talking about. But um, yeah, it's cool to see where it's grown and all that. And and where it's going, I think it's going to be great. We're going to keep growing here, but um, yeah, it's been awesome to see the support as well that that we've gotten from uh, from all the people. It's just cool to see everyone's kind of stories. Like I always believe everyone has like a 
everyone has a way that they see the game, right? No, no two people kind of see it the exact same. Everyone has these uh, views on it. Everyone has their principles that they come off with, everything, how they see it. And everyone's kind of opinion can matter here. We're just two people who talk basketball, you know what I mean? And we're open with it. We talk basketball with anyone. So uh, it's pretty awesome. And hearing kind of where we started is pretty cool. Um, do you remember your first your first organized game? Do you remember that? I remember I was so nervous and I remember like one of the people telling me like, you'll be super nervous. And then once you get in the game, your mind has like a crazy ability to just like focused on the game. And he was totally right. I was crazy nervous. Right. When you get in the game though, you kind of are able to just focus on like what's going on. You don't really hear anyone on the crowd or anything. Do you remember like your first game? I wanted to ask you that. Cause I think it's, it's, it's fascinating when I, when I ask other people like their first ever organized, organized game. Yeah, so I actually vividly remember it. So the uh, uh, I played in high school, but I was never in the rotation. So like I went through practices and stuff. But if I ever got into the game, it's because we were up 35 and it didn't really count. So my first game that where I played organized basketball, where I was in the in the rotation was when I was in junior college and I was the starting center, quote unquote. Uh, but I wasn't really a center. I was like a stretch four, basically. And there was just a lack of size on that particular team. Our team wasn't very good. Uh, but we were on the road at South Mountain College, which is in uh, which is in Phoenix. And I remember in the layup lines again at this point, I, I, I broke my foot the following offseason and put on a bunch of muscle. So I went from like 205 to 225 and it made me a better player, but I became less vertically athletic. When I was at this point before this game, when I was my first year of junior college, I was light and like incredibly bouncy. And I remember going through layup lines so juiced up on adrenaline <laughs> that like I was like taking off from the semicircle and just like lightly feather, like not not even getting a technical, but just dropping the ball through the net, you know, and and I run over to the bench and my assistant coach. His name is Chris Clausen. He comes up to me and he goes like, hey, Jason, do we need to change your shorts? Because he was just making fun of me because of how excited <laughs> I was. And uh, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So, again, you're right. You get into the game and what actually takes over is your job. When you have a job to focus on, if you have specific responsibilities, you don't have time to get psyched out by what's happening around you. Now, what was funny was is I did score zero points in the first half of that game. And it completely, I was completely psyched out, just running around a little bit disheveled, a little bit overhyped up. And the second half, the team we were playing was playing a 1-3-1. And if you know anything about a 1-3-1, there's only one man on the backside. So one of the most common ways to attack a 1-3-1 is to swing the ball over to the other side and back cut from the opposite corner. There's usually going to be an open lob there. So I saw it coming and I saw the opportunity there, went up to the guard. I'm like, hey... I think if I cut back door here, I think we have an opportunity for an alley-oop. So uh, uh, a couple minutes into the second half, I cut back door on the backside of the one three one. Dude throws just an absolutely perfect pass, and I dunk it. And it was like – it was literally like the weight of the world got lifted off my shoulders because <laughs> the, the fact that my first basket was a highlight play made it so that I felt confident. And then we ran our offense was centered around me at the top of the key working out of a triple threat position because I knew I couldn't dribble super well. So I worked out of a triple threat position and then they would just put shooters around me. And I just started getting the ball from the top of the key and just scoring almost every time I had the ball. (laughs) And so I ended up finishing with 17 points in the second half. And then um, the next time I played that same team, I had 31 
but like the 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 like once I had that first dunk, like the weight of the world got lifted off my shoulders, and I felt like a million bucks. And then I kind of just took off from there. But it's crazy how you get you get nervous, and you know, basketball games are weird. They're so you can remember this from when you were playing. Like they're so chaotic. And like half the time, like the ball will go in the hoop and because you're in a rotation or you're running through yeah. a screen or something, you won't even see the ball go through the hoop. All of a sudden you'll just see someone's inbounding and you're like, oh, I got to run the floor, go this way. You know, like it, it can be very chaotic. And the biggest thing that happens after you get a few reps under your belt is things start to slow down a little bit and you start to actually be aware yeah. of what's happening around you. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. And that's how it works in pickup as well. You play a bunch of pickup, you kind of slow down, kind of understand your game um, as well. I remember like it was like a homecoming game, I think. Uh, and again, I wasn't in the rotation either. I was just kind of a player on the end of the bench, but I was in there. And then the, I thought I was playing well. I thought I was doing, you know, I thought I was doing good. Like I thought I was playing defense and the coach, like he like motions me to come over to him. He's like, calm down. <laughs> it's like, you know, like his hands like this. He's like, calm down. I was like, oh no, I'm okay. He's like, yeah, just slow down. I was like, all right. So yeah, it's just it's just funny to kind of think back and uh, yeah, like I I don't know, like I used to watch wrestling as well, and I kind of got out of watching wrestling uh, when I was a kid. Um, but I feel like basketball, I'm in love for a very long time. So I feel like I'm a love forever. So it's kind of cool seeing both of us kind of where it's going and uh, our love for the game kind of shows in what we talk about and in our work or and whatever we post. So I hope that kind of comes off to everyone as well. For sure, yeah. If, there, if, there, if there's there's no doubt that you can count on the fact that we we get we give a shit for lack of a better term, and we yeah. and we will watch the film. Like but you and I, almost almost every regular season game that happens this season, you and I will watch twice in all likelihood. Um, yeah. You know, we are going to. Uh, you know, there will be times when we talk about stuff around the league where you and I are doing some pontificating on little bits of evidence because we haven't watched as much as some of the local fans have. But when it comes to the Lakers, you can count on the fact that we've dug into the numbers, we've dug into the film, and, and we care. And the last thing I'll say is, like, you know, when I talk about, you know, my playing experience, and you, I know you feel this way, and I know you understand that, but I want to emphasize it to all, all of our listeners. It never comes from a place of a superiority complex. I don't think I'm an NBA player. I don't think I'm close to an NBA player. I, I, I love the game of basketball, and I know I played at a pretty high level, but to me, that's just part of my story. It's not something that differentiates me. It's not something that makes me more intelligent with basketball. I don't think that I have a better analysis than you. All it is for me is it's my personal story and my personal angle, and it's part of the way I see the game. It's just unique to me. I will never ever, you know, use that as some sort of thing to try to put some sort of gap between me and a fan or me and someone else. That's just not the way that I see it. And I, I hope people understand that. And, and, you know, when I do talk about this stuff, if, a lot of times it's just me reminiscing, you know, on the glory days, so to speak, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm really, really excited to see, um, you know, uh, how much more this can grow this year. Cause it's already grown several yeah. times over since you and I started. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to do that. Um, and yeah, we're, we're going to get going here pretty soon. We have like two weeks. But I hope everyone kind of enjoyed that, like to know like where we come from from this, like where our kind of uh, beliefs kind of come from on this. And uh, everyone everyone has their own. Obviously, everyone sees the game their own way. And that's just kind of where we come from and how we see it. And it kind of um, creates how we see um, everything, how we see uh, life and basketball. So um, I, th- I think it's just interesting for, uh, for us to get into that and have the, have the listeners know that for sure.
Exactly. All right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here and get to work for, uh, for the rest of the day. But we appreciate your support sincerely. I will be putting this on our podcast feed shortly, and we will see you guys next week. And Raj, we'll talk, but we'll probably end up doing some sort of more comprehensive season preview here in the next couple yeah. Of weeks. Sounds All right, good. brother, have a Thanks, good day. Everyone. We'll see you guys later. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone.